0: This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Juan Bendencourt, who is the CEO of Human Intelligence, which combines HR and technology to get the most out of companies, staff, you name it. So Juan, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael.
0: So talk to us a bit about HR, because a lot of people are going to be rolling their eyes, wondering, oh, God, here we go, HR conversation. Let's see how how this goes. Some people have a more negative relationship with HR than positive. So talk to us a bit about why HR was your thing, why that was what you're passionate about, and why did you decide to improve it and change it?
1: Great question. So I started my career out of, out of an Ivy League school working at some of the largest companies in the world, like Procter & Amble, Reebok, Puma, a company in Europe called Decathlon, Decathlon, um, and then some software companies like Siebel Systems and Oracle. And yes, I, I feared HR. It was like the function of fear. And it was about, you know, how could they protect the company from getting sued and how could they like, you know, uh, brush out any dissent, right? Um, and so that was kind of my view as well. Um, but at the same time, HR has went from a personnel department and human resource department to more of a human capital management department over the years. And now it's even, you get titles like chief people officer, right? And so I started to realize that HR with the right tools, with the right vision and leader could become something that would be a differentiator for companies and, and unleash the power of their people, not not squash the power of their people. And so um, I was blessed to have worked at Procter & Gamble where HR was more of that, um, where you saw it as a as an enhancer and, and an organization or a function that could um, accelerate your career and you could plan. I mean, this is back in 1993. I could plan my 10-year career at Procter & Gamble back in 93. I could say, I want to start in Puerto Rico. I want to go to Cincinnati. I want to go to China. I want to go to Africa. And they literally would then have a development plan associated with that every year, the seven or 10 things you had to accomplish. And if you did all those things, you could literally carve your career for the next 10, 15 years any way you wanted. So, um, you know, and they invested in talent development and training. Fast forward 20, 25 years later, technology is the new thing that's going to allow HR to unleash. People And that's everything from letting people work from home, which I think most people, 80%, are blessed now that they can be at home and be near their family and get two hours more out of their day for working out or spending time with friends and doing things. And that's all because HR, if it's done well, has figured out how to let some people work from home, some people work in the office, and figured out the hybrid model. So HR is the enabler for being able to be distributed and remote and hybrid. And I think that's one of the the, the most transformational moments in society that's being driven by good HR teams, right? And and technology like the one at Human Intelligence that we've developed, That lots of HR companies like Coca-Cola, Accenture, BASF, Aflac, and several others are putting in, which allows people to be themselves and be recognized and seen for who they are. And you know, s- scaling psychometric understanding at one's fingertips for all employees so they can write emails better, they can meet together better, have better virtual meetings, collaborate better. This is reducing friction and making people happier at work and allowing companies to align where people are naturally built to succeed with jobs that that put them squarely uh, to high performance and to a better career progression. And so HR is really today something with technology, a blessing for employees.
0: What I was actually quite curious about is how being people focused versus just the output focused can have the same outcome. Meaning, you know, if you focus on the results all the time and increase in productivity, increasing motivation, that might take away some of the benefits of working there. They might not enjoy it as much if they're solely focused on how productive you are, what the result is. But if someone's happier at work, if someone's motivated to go in, they understand the mission behind what the work is that they're doing, that can be enough to then impact the numbers further downstream and talk to us a bit about that because i think some people struggle some industries might have a harder time listening to it than others but how is that relationship working how does it operate
1: yeah so the it's been shown in all the different harvard business review articles and research at the top business schools like wharton business school that these companies that are quote built to last uh to, to to reference that famous book um where employees stay longer because they're more engaged and employees are more successful for the company and for their own careers. It's usually companies where you're right. They, they've they tapped into the psyche of the employee and motivated them because the, the mission and vision of the company is aligned with the employee and their value system. um, And, and the reward system is not 100% performance. Take, for example, Procter & Gamble, where I worked. I was amazed, you know, coming out of college, that I would get promoted and get a pay raise based on two things. One was purely performance. Did I was the brand manager for Tide Detergent for the Caribbean and in Puerto Rico it was called Ariel. For sure, I had to increase revenue and profit by like 5% on the top line and like 3% on the bottom line. <clears throat> and, and performance was key. Um, and part of that performance was a 360 evaluation by others. So I would be more of a team-oriented person. So you could hit, if you could hit all the numbers, but everybody hated you, you wouldn't get bonus, You wouldn't get promoted. But if you could hit all your numbers and be a team player and respect others, you would get your full bonus, right? Or <clears throat> actually you were you were eligible for half your bonus. The other thing that they bonus you on or that was a function of your bonus wasn't just performance. The other thing was, it was a phrase they used, have you built the organization and i was amazed by that and i didn't understand what that meant like build the organization it wasn't meaning like take some bricks and help build another wing to the building building the organization for procter and gamble was we know that the future of this company is inside the heads of our employees and we know that if we stifle them and tell them everything to do we we the organization will not know what's coming but everyone who's in the weeds touching the customer for all 200,000 employees if we can tap the entrepreneur spirit and the innovation from each person to build the organization in different ways, then we will succeed. So literally half of your promotion and bonus depended on, did you build the organization and things such as, did you mentor other people, even though nobody asked you to, did you come up with some new ideas, not only for your business, but for other people's business, because how many times you're at lunch in a big hall, you know, mess hall, and you're hearing other people talk about their businesses and you have an idea, well, if a company doesn't motivate you to then write that idea down and send it back to that person you heard, overheard in lunch, you would never do it. What's in it for you if you're, right? Um, uh, If there's a process that was frustrating to you that was basically stifling your ability to do your job in working with R&D or working with supply chain or working with finance, and you can improve the process for the entire organization so that it wasn't just gonna help you, but help 10,000 employees, all do a better job. You were building the organization. Everyone had the power to be a mini CEO and improve anything in the entire organization. And they were, they were given a megaphone to identify problems and fix them bottom up. And so all the great, every year they had this thing called OGSM, objectives, goals, strategies, measures. Every year they would kind of lay out for the company, for the divisions, for the different sector, you know, healthcare. Uh, You know, uh, the consumer uh, uh, laundry detergents, etc. These objectives, goals, strategies, and these massive programs to focus on fixing something and doing it better. All those, although the actual programs came from the top, the ideas for them always came from the frontline workers of the company and it was the most powerful thing I've ever witnessed in any company the only other company that does it similar or, or is as good as that is a company in France called Decathlon the most successful retailer in the world and sports manufacturer much bigger than Nike much more successful than Nike but it's it's privately held so people don't really know it as much um but that was you know that's what they bonus us on it wasn't just performance it was building the organization and being a team player and and that can go a long way and that that is timeless that was 30 years ago and today it would still apply and no technology in the world can get around those kind of you know aligning rewards with what the company needs to scale
0: i wonder if there's anything that you can point to that can help other companies start to employ this start to use this start to do this because i can't help but wonder if There'd be a company out there that would listen that would trial this and then it not work or let's say profits might drop or retention might not increase as some people may have thought that it did you know when you sort of think okay people oh, right. experiment well, people will try, try it and then it not actually have the benefits that they want
1: well imagine if you're a sales oriented company selling a product or service and everybody's just all about the numbers and the numbers and like any salesperson doesn't hit the numbers gets fired 100% of the energy, 100 units of your energy in that company, whether it's sales or if you're supporting sales, is going to closing deals. What I'm just recommended that Procter Gamble does, you would definitely see a hit on revenue in the short term because any units that you're now helping other people in the organization, doing things that are not to close a deal, there's only so many hours in the day. Let's say you start to spend 20% on all these other things, you're going to reduce sales. I don't know if it's one to one, but let's say 10% down. Now, what's interesting is, Whereas that company, if they don't put in this, I'm going to just call it the Procter & Gamble methodology of of building the organization, they might succeed year one, year two, year three, but something might happen where an innovation in the industry, a new company with a better process or applying new technologies is going to come around. And in five years, that company is going to be like a Titanic. They've been maximizing sales and everybody's got their bonuses, but five years later, that company is going to get leapfrogged by a competitor and by the industry, and they would not have seen it coming. The difference is Procter & Gamble company or a company like that applying a, a Procter & Gamble or what they call P&G vision of how to lead and manage people, they might be 10% less in sales every year, but they would still be the leader of the industry five years later and even stronger than they were five years before. So there is this kind of longer-term game that companies like Procter & Gamble play where they're going to hold their employees longer, they're going to out, outperform their competitors longer. So, you know, to focus just on revenue in the short term and have everyone running 100% just on sales and, and the numbers, that does not win in the long term. And there's, there's lots of roadkill out there as examples.
0: Now, I know that I'm probably going to open a kind of worms now by saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And this to by using technology for something that is more human based in a world where the relationship that some will have with HR is a bit robotic anyway, it just seems like it's potentially going to hinder the system as opposed to help it. What, what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, well, when it comes to HR technology and, and I'll throw in AI as part of that, because today you, you can't do technology without AI. Um, I think employees are going to be shocked because it, what is one of the most fun experiences an employee has when they work at a company it's it's often the first month of onboarding where you're meeting people and connecting for the first time it's the yearly off-site weekend trip with your teammates right and you do the the workshop with a I was a psychologist who comes in and does a personality test. And it's really fun because I get to understand Michael better. Michael gets to understand me. We actually see each other for the first time without the distraction of the numbers of the work. And it's really when companies take the time and invest through talent development or talent management um, in their people to connect as humans to, you know, even in something as simple as the daily lunch with your, with your colleagues or going to happy hour or, uh celebrating a holiday season if you look at people's jobs year to year those are some of those powerful happy engaged moments and and where where we're it, it's not work it's life right and that is the most powerful moment in one's career and guess what and guess who drives that hr so imagine if hr can take the magic of those types of meetings and human connection And with technology, insert that every day, every moment in an email. What do I mean by that? Let's say Coca-Cola, who is our client, has 10,000 employees. Before, it was too expensive to take 10,000 people to an offsite and have team building. Right Now, with AI and technology, Coca-Cola and with human intelligence, and I'm sure many companies are going to follow us and do the same, can send a link to everyone, 10,000 people, and say, take this personality test. We as a company want everyone to be seen and to be understood. We are all unique. And we're not tribal. And we're not going to talk about DEI solely based on gender and race and and put everybody into a bucket because of their color, their skin, or their group, or their country, right? And the people in France and the people in Ireland and England and people in Nigeria do not all act the same, right? And so this tool Is going to allow all of us to understand each other. And like Grammarly, the company that took grammar, which 800 years of grammar, they didn't invent anything new, but just put it with technology at your fingertips so you could use it. We are going to use at Coca-Cola this tool to send out a link. Everyone take it. 10,000 people take it on Monday morning. And as of Monday afternoon, when you write an email, I could write to a guy named Steve Johnson in England. If I've never met him and it's an important email, I click the human intelligence button and the AI will rewrite the email the way that this guy likes to read and receive information so that it doesn't cause friction or piss him off. It actually lands exactly the way this person wants to receive the information. Another use case in the future where every employee is happier is you're in a collaboration in a virtual meeting and it'll tell everybody in the meeting, hey, everyone, Mary Smith, um is really shy and reflective. You guys should call on her twice today because if not, she's not going to feel included and she won't feel like she belongs. or, um, you know, Javier Gonzalez, you're leading this meeting and you're 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 asking for approval or for a budget of two million dollars. um, the nine people you're presenting to, Javier, are all really deliberate. Javier, you're really decisive. Those nine people, if you push them between agenda items too quickly, you'll lose them. So imagine, Everyone becoming a professional IO psychologist at their fingertips, in emails, in virtual meetings, when they go into a calendar, this is the future how HR tech and AI will enhance every person to be the best version of themselves. And more importantly, for every other person in the company to understand each other, similar to the way that we all come to the middle with our spouses over five or six years, this will happen instantly for 10,000 people in a day. The most powerful transformation ever that HR can happen on a company.
0: How does that fit with, let's say, um, differences of opinion? Because a lot of people struggle with differences of opinion, with clashes, with miscommunications, that sort of thing. Yep. I, I imagine with miscommunication that it kind of semi-fixes that problem, if not completely removes it. What about differences or, of opinion or clashes? or Because it would remove personality clashes, I'm hoping. But what about someone might have an idea that somebody else may disagree with what happens then
1: yeah so so definitely you know let's just bucket half of the challenges and friction and mckinsey came out with a report that said 48 percent of of pain and friction is stylistic right one person likes to communicate in a decisive way somebody lives in a deliberate way somebody likes to use data somebody else is just conceptual and they're like they're, they're talking past each other just stylistic communication this will fix that bucket but you're right what if somebody has a different opinion Um, someone thinks they should focus on sales and someone thinks they should focus on building the organization, to use a thread of the last example. That's that's a, a difference of opinion. That has nothing to do with one's behaviors, motivators, or work styles. What's beautiful about a tool like this is when everyone in emails, in meetings, are being nudged to think and hold space for others before they bring their opinion. Because today, what most people do is, I have my opinion, this is the way we should do it, right? People aren't open to holding space to listen before they speak. Everybody's just pitching their thing. Well, when you actually start to nudge people to think before they write an email, nudge people to go into a meeting, understanding the dynamics of the meeting or the team, you're actually changing behavior to the point where people will now have a skill to listen first, digest, be sensitive of the other person, um, and so therefore, when they hear the other opinion, even if it's different, the way it will be handled will be much more mature and respectful because you're trying to understand their point of view and you'll get to consensus more, or at least even if you still maintain a difference of opinion, it will be handled in a way which is which has less friction. This also is why our tool is a great product for DEI because although we don't hit the, the ratios and 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 we're not tracking gender and race when you start to be open minded to how someone else communicates and thinks and their behaviors and what motivates them you stop looking at people as black or hispanic or or indian or white you just look at every person as a human being and it 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 gets rid of this charge conversation around you know whose tribe are you part of and so it goes a long way to change that behavior too and actually makes companies more open and more uh, inclusive in general
0: it makes me think actually that there are a lot more people that would be a lot more compassionate that be more empathetic towards the other person they'd be able to see things from other people's point of view And it makes me think that people will just be better human beings. People when, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Black Lives Matter or something else, that encouraged people to think more about race than ever before. And it used to to drive me a little insane when people would not like the fact that you didn't necessarily, in air quotes, see color. I don't see color.
1: I I was being racist by saying that. And I, I don't think that's the case. Like, A tool like ours actually gets you to focus on what's real. I mean, imagine in a meeting, you could have five white women all in their 40s. There could be completely a feeling of not belonging because one of those white women might be really decisive and conceptual. The other four women are really deliberate and data-driven, and and it's going to take them longer to make a conclusion. And that decisive uh, conceptual person is just going to be moving fast. And she's not going to feel the same. You can make the same analogy with with five, you know, black people, five Hispanic people. Just to say that you're of the same color, or of the same gender, or the same age group doesn't mean that you think and work and are motivated and behave the same ways. That to me, that's ludicrous. It's it's kind of like the argument of saying, you know, when companies used to go abroad, they do these culture trainings. Oh well, you're going to France. Let's train you on all French people in two hours. <laughs> um, oh, you're going to America. Here's what Americans are like. Here's like, are there some general directional vibrational things yes but at the end of the day when you're sitting across somebody or you're talking to them on a virtual meeting or writing an email you have to understand that unique person the best analogy when you talked about coming to the middle and just being more human and more uh, uh, like i don't know what your exact word was but more um uh, sensitive to others i mean we all go through that when we get married I mean, we all live this selfish life. It's our way or the highway. We do whatever we want. We don't have to sacrifice anything. And then you get married. And dating is not even close. We all think, oh, we dated. Oh, we lived together. Oh, now I know what it's going to be like. No, no, no. You get married and it is a come to Jesus moment where within five years, and especially it's accelerated if you have children, the complexities of that relationship on how to be operationally and how to work together. If you don't know or learn how to come to the middle and and, and listen first and approach it differently, you will never succeed. Tools like human intelligence are bringing that magic that occurs at home and sometimes in a very painful way for spouses in a positive, non-painful way at work and instantly.
0: I wonder how how big of a shift it can have, because you mentioned the thinking long-term, you mentioned this idea that, okay, things maybe in the short term may take a dip, but then from then on, it's plain sailing, everyone gets along, everyone likes going to work, you maybe know a little bit more about your colleagues than you would have maybe used to know, but that's in a productive way. It's in a way that helps the company run, as opposed to knowing everyone's inside leg measurement, that kind of thing. And it's making me think that would this help in a bigger way outside of work? You mentioned relationships and marriage and things, but I'm a big believer in wanting everybody to get along. I I don't think that's a grand idea. I think that's very possible. Do you think that this could help everybody generally just get along with one another?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's fascinating to me. Most people don't know. I mean, this guy, Leonardo da Vinci, was truly brilliant. He didn't just start drawing planes before there were planes. He, he didn't invent a million things that we all are their cornerstones to society today. Do you know what he also invented that most people don't know? And it's very HR related. He was the first person to put together a resume. Wow. 1502 or 1582. Go look it up on Google. You'll actually pull up Leonardo da Vinci's resume where he lists his competencies and what he's good at. And it's like, it is a, the first resume ever. Do you know that there's no document in the world that's more pervasive than the resume? And LinkedIn is basically the resume digital version. But so you have over 8 billion people on this planet and you have about 6 billion resumes. Like driver licenses don't even touch 2 billion. Like nothing in the world is more, because why? Because you cannot live in society without a job and you cannot get a job without a resume, period. Hard stop. And so what's so powerful, but also so sad is the resume and what you've done, your skills, your experiences, your education only leads to 30% predictive success in any job at any level, 70, 70% of success depends on your behaviors, your motivators, and your work styles and how that fits culturally, culture fit in those elements with the role you're doing, the team you're working with and the culture of the company, okay? And so imagine what's powerful is the resume. Everyone found that you need something for the most important thing in life is career and job because then you can support a family and you can have healthcare, or you can eat and put a roof over your head but they got it wrong. It's not just about the 30% predictive. You need the 70%. And that 70% is your personality and your behaviors and your motivating work styles. And does that fit in company A versus company B? Because you could actually be the top salesperson at a consumer products company like Coca-Cola and be the number one sales guy or girl in Tennessee, have the same exact job running sales in Tennessee for PepsiCo, and fail miserably because the personality and the culture fits wrong. You could be a top neurosurgeon at Baptist Health Hospital and then go over to Mercy Hospital, which is a mile away in South Florida, and fail miserably because the way that surgery is done there, the way people work together is completely different. Culture is the biggest differentiator for success. And to your question of how our tool human intelligence and these psychometrics flowing through everything can change the world in a much more powerful way. Imagine if when everyone graduates high school, you don't just have the one-page resume, but on the back, you have your personality test so that now it is flowing through all platforms and systems. So when you do a search on LinkedIn for a job today, and I was a recruiter for 10 years, you do a search for candidates for any job posting, you get a 1,000 to 2,000 people. Well, guess what happened? you go through like 30 you never so all the thousands who apply never get spoken to and they hate linkedin for that reason and you're going through 30 or 15 you still don't find the right person and it's just a lot of white noise imagine a day when everybody has their psychometrics tied to their 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 resume and, and flowing through all systems you do a search for somebody for a job at your company and it's matching all the high performers in your company in that role that succeed, and what are the the seven out of 28 attributes? What are the two motivators or two behaviors, two work styles that make those people successful at your company? Now you do a search on LinkedIn for that, and it pops up six people. The search is done in a week. You interview those six, and now you have your hire. Imagine the candidates, they don't have to apply to 400 jobs and never get heard from. They get proposed jobs and say, hey, you want to work in medicine as a nurse? You want to work in academia as a professor? You want to work in investment banking in New York? Here are the two jobs where you would be fast-tracked to be promoted. Little Javier could go into McDonald's in South Beach on Lincoln Road and apply for a job and put in his information, and it says, hey, Javier, McDonald's, you're not a fit for them, but two blocks behind you, it's, there's a subway, you're actually the perfect profile for a leadership role, right, and a career track to be there 10 years and to be successful, right? That is the beauty of when psychometrics and personalities are being used for the positive, not just in your company, but in your career and in your life. Imagine going to the doctor's office and they match you with a doctor or a nurse, who's aligned with you. Imagine going to a, uh, a dating app, and instead of it being, let me cut and paste and write the 100 women, because that's what guys do, and just hope one of these lands, the email gets rewritten to the person you're writing to the way that they like to read information so you can actually land better each email and understand them better and vice versa. Imagine you get an Uber driver that isn't chatty if you don't want a chatty box Uber driver. That's You get to pick people based on who you like. Imagine insurance companies reducing premiums for those people who are risk averse, who aren't going to have accidents because their behaviors, their what motivates in their work styles and basically how they make decisions. Are not going to lead to accidents and the people who do lead to a lot of accidents are going to pay higher premiums same thing with healthcare. this would ch- transform society so that everyone can can live their their highest vibration and ex- experience other people in every facet of their life in a better way
0: what would be fascinating to me as well is that 70 percent are also things that you might be able to shape in a way but they're born with a way of thinking they're born with a way of processing information so you end up having the job that's perfect for you as a person and the rest you can learn like the skills of the you job can you can bingo. And,
1: and that's the key what you just said you're born directionally with certain things just like an athlete is born right-handed or left-handed no one is born ambidextrous but when you see a professional basketball player what have they done they now can dribble with both hands they can shoot with both hands. And maybe they grew up and their power move, their superpower was the baseline jump shot from the right. And they sucked from the left. They get to college, they work on that a little bit more. And then they get the the NBA and they have now, they need for them to succeed. They need to have a jumper from the top of the key, which they never really did. In life, being agile as a human being is what will lead to success in sports, in any sport, Soccer, right foot, left foot, not having a header as a striker in a, in a in at Liverpool, and all of a sudden now you have a header. You need these different dimensions. Um, in career, it's the same. And it's the job of the company to develop those other dimensions so that you have dualities. So if you are data-driven, you can learn to be conceptual. So that if you are decisive, you can learn to not be decisive some moments and be deliberate and reflect on things first. And so a tool like ours is not to pigeonhole or profile people, it's to give them the insights and the, self, the mirror, if you will, so that they can develop both things because the best teammate on an employee team the best leader of a team, the best CEO of a company knows how to be the things they weren't naturally born to be. And so a tool like this will help the whole world develop their duality in every attribute of their behaviors, of what motivates them and and, and their work styles. So it's actually the most important self-development, talent development, tool in the world that people aren't using effectively. And the reason is it's been too cost prohibitive. It's been only for executives and psychometrics have always been a one and done tool. That model of your grandfather's personality test or assessment. So think predictive index, strength finders, caliper, Berkman, Thompson, all of those tools are not embedded in all your workflows. The future is a model like Grammarly where all of that is just flowing in any document, any tool, any software that you're using at any moment. I mean, one day I'm going to wear glasses, and when I meet somebody at the street, it's going to be showing me on the glasses how to communicate better with them, how to connect better. And is that cheating? Are people going to say, well, that that's wrong. That, that's going to lead to people not trying to understand others. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, if they are tools to help bring the world closer together and reduce friction, why not? I got pissed off when I learned five languages. It took my whole life. I spent 20 hours a week for 30 years speaking, learning languages, speak like English, so that I could go around the world and connect and, and learn about other cultures. And I thought, wow, what a gift. But it was hard. It took my whole life. And then about five years ago, I heard about an earplug you could put in that when you go to China, you go to France. It just translates, so you don't even have to speak the language. And my first ego-driven reaction was, "That's not fair. That <laughs> technology isn't making people understand other cultures. That's not fair." I spent my whole life yeah. learning language and practicing and struggling, and then, then you know, you 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 let your ego talk, and then you get past that like defensive, fear-based vibration. And then I thought, wow, Juan, what a beautiful invention and innovation. (laughs) Now, instead of some privileged little prick like me, who went to Harvard, who had access to languages, was born speaking Spanish fluently because of my Cuban parents, now every middle class American, every middle class French, every middle class Nigerian can experience the world like you did. It's the most powerful invention I've ever heard of.
0: Isn't that amazing? It is. And it's making me want to lean towards okay well everyone should have this everyone should but then if we live in a world where everything is ever so slightly tweaked into the way that's best for us would there be people that would struggle to trust the system if they felt like they were being like manipulated in some way but it'd be harder to trust it if it's always angled in that way someone might sit and think can i trust this person I feel like they know too much
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it's it's great that you bring up trust. Our system actually brings trust into an organization and makes companies and entire organizations trust each other more. Because if if you're showing more of yourself, you're going to foster more trust. So it conceptually just makes sense that if – you know, imagine you go to a date with a woman, um, and she's like, "Well, I'm not going to tell you anything about me. I'm not going to even tell you what makes me happy. <laughs> Good luck on that date." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. This is the same at work. Everybody has their game face. Nobody wants anybody to know anything about them. Well, that does not foster trust. So the tool does foster trust at scale, enterprise wide. Now the problem is we do have over two million people who've done this tool, um, at companies, thousands of companies. The problem is you do have, and we you make a voluntary gets around the privacy issue, okay? And so, eight percent, so eight out of hundred people actually don't participate. They don't want to. So you end up with 92% who trust this concept and actually will take it and they love it and we're raving fans and adoption and usage is like 75%, um, you know, like 15, 20 times a month. But there is this form of trust. What we find is, you know, lawyers, we tried to sell law firms. Lawyers don't like this tool. They, they feel like, oh, I don't want people to know me. Like, it's like, there's no trust there. Uh, the worker unions in Europe, so France and Germany, We stop selling in France and Germany because the worker unions think, oh, this is Big Brother. They want even more data about me. This can't be good. No, let's not allow this. So, you know, on just rolling out a platform like this, like human intelligence, uh, there is some trust issues. Okay, now, in terms of once it's being used, usually if somebody's already taken it, they're not going to feel like, oh, well, is what they're writing authentic or are they just writing that because they know it's going to land better at the end of the day, you know, does your spouse tell us think, Oh wow, that really landed well by my, my husband. He used to be really rude, but that was really really polite. Oh crap. That's not authentic. He's just doing that to get me on his good side. Like it's a really (laughs) sinister perspective. If, if, if someone's communicating with you, it doesn't matter if they used a tool or it was came from their, their own mind. If they adapted their behavior so that it lands well, let's let's just call that a success and walk away
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a weird way of thinking isn't it because it's interesting you brought up lawyers because they're inherently not trustworthy it's part of their job it makes right. me think well maybe that that could be the issue like if you have trust issues in her quotes to begin with this may exacerbate that it may make that worse if all of a sudden. Everyone's being suddenly nice and everyone really understanding all of a sudden. Why is that? Why why, why would they do that all of a sudden? It seems like you would have to have some inherent trust issues to begin with for that to press your buttons and think, hang on, there's more going on here.
1: Yeah, well, it's similar to this whole DEI conversation. So we pitch to many heads of DEI, large companies, and it shocks me because they they have teams of 15 people. Their budgets are $10 million. And they're doing training programs that are solely focused on gender and race. So getting people together just to talk about the black experience, the Hispanic experience, the, the, the LGBTQ experience, right? But you can't scale that. And they'll have a company of 10,000 people. And they're like, yeah, this year we hit 300 people. And I'm thinking, wow, $10 million, 300 people and armies of training and all these hours outside from work. Okay. Um, And the other 9,700, okay, that'll take a thousand years to actually do that. Okay. And at the end of the day, when you have five black people in a meeting, or five white people, or five Hispanics, or five women, um, are they really talking about those things or are they trying to connect and work together? Okay. And so then I'm like, well, here's another tool that you can add to your portfolio that doesn't tackle gender, race, but actually will hit all 10,000 people to be more inclusive about. Every person, so that they all then will start to understand about blacks and Hispanics and women issues. They'll just be more open-minded. Do you want a tool like that? Because your tools cost ten million for touching three hundred people. What about our tool that costs a dollar per person per month? So basically, um, ten thousand people. That's literally hundred twenty thousand a year versus ten million to change ten thousand people's perspective about inclusion. You know what they tell me? No, not interested. We're only focused on gender and race. Like. They are so wrong and off about what inclusion and belonging means that they can't even get out of their own box. And they're almost, they actually are falling prey to what they're trying to solve.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of analogy with the whole thing. It's like they've so cornered in. It's, I mean, the race is a touchy topic for, for anyone to really talk about, but I wonder if, if everyone highlighted what their race was, that almost segregates people even more and puts everybody in this box even more so than saying, look, we're all just people and we're all humans. We're all working for this company. We're all trying to make our ends meet while making the company's ends meet. We're all just trying to work together to do that. It doesn't really matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your heritage is, what your family history is, whether you were over on a ufo or whatever it is it doesn't matter i mean I'd, I'd love to know if they did to be fair but like it doesn't it doesn't change or shouldn't change how they work at the company it shouldn't change what they do from a day-to-day basis what changes is how they do that it changes how much Correct. communication and, do, they, do they need versus you know just getting the job done
1: yeah and i'm okay with everyone you know labeling themselves and sharing, you know, if they are Hispanic, if they're Puerto Rican versus Cuban or black, what, what, you know, from what tribe in Africa they came from. I think that's important for everyone to know. I think that that kind of education is great. Um, But to only do that is what's so maddening because you also should understand that how the, what the, how the person behaves and what motivates them and what their work styles are. And, you know, it's it, it's it's the lack of understanding of other things, which is 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 unfortunate in the whole DEI. There's 47 categories that actually apply to to DEI, and unfortunately, they only focus on two. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, so I it's just helping with the bigger picture. I think more companies need a more holistic approach. They need something that factors in how complex humans are. Like if you have a bad day, it'd be nice to know because. Things all change, things all shift, and we need to be able to adjust to that, not to manipulate you, but to make sure that the information is received in the right way. That's one of the things that I've come to understand anyway, is it's not about the information. It's not really necessarily about how it's shared, it's about how it's received. It's about the person on the receiving end, how do they take it in and absorb it. And I think that that, that can make all the difference.
1: It's so funny you say that we have this thing I, I implemented when I started my company. So every week I have my one-on-ones and everybody in my company with their subordinates, when they have a one-on-one, you start with what's your mood meter, not what did you succeed? What your you, what did you, what did you accomplish? What are you going to work on? What's your mood meter? And that would change completely the course of those 30 minute one-on-ones, because if someone's like nine and you're like, or 10, you know what? Most people are realistic. So, you know, 10s are very rare, but nine, then, you know, things are good. Generally, like, like that number explaining who i am and where i am mo- this moment allows me to just okay let's get into the numbers then like okay what did you do like but if someone says four oh well what's wrong is it something work-related personal oh yeah you know my, my cousin just died or or you know my i had a car accident this morning like Things that you're not going to ask about every day, but it's been great because it really makes the relationship human. And that's regardless of color of skin, race, gender, and even regardless of behaviors and motorism, work styles, something that I like think should be everyone should know. This is fundamental at the end of the day. What's your mood and how can I help?
0: That's a very... Very interesting point. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had an amazing day. I felt really, really good. And the job doesn't even touch the sides of that. Like I go into work and I feel amazing. doesn't matter how hard the job is, how complex it is, how many people I've got to facilitate and compromise and meet in the middle. I still finish with a smile on my face and as if the job wasn't really all that hard today. And then if I'm a number four, like what you said everything's hard and everything impacts yeah. <laughs> on my ever so smaller fuse and i'll probably blow up at everybody i'll probably be short with everyone and the whole day the whole in two different people two completely different human beings yeah. and it would be nice if there was a way of being able to communicate that because sometimes you have an amazing day one day didn't sleep so great I don't know, maybe you stub your toe on the table or the water was cold. Any any number of things could make you go from a 10 to a 7. And then from one day to the next day the next day you could be a completely different person based on how your morning went like if you've got kids in a family you think oh it took us four times as long to get the kids ready for school oh yeah or All the kid was sort of sick of... i didn't sleep
1: last night like yeah exactly you know, yeah and by the way to, to that point here's a great product feature linkedin if you're listening and even companies imagine on linkedin they they have like if it's a little green circle if you're online and not if you're not okay that's great but what if someone got no sleep or has a huge presentation and a stress like hell? They probably don't want to get an in mail. So imagine if you actually had a like the five smiley faces, like I'm like the, the mood meter concept, like a mood meter feature on LinkedIn where everybody, before you write a LinkedIn, before you you know contact someone, you can see for that moment that day, is it a super smiley, a okay smiley, a neutral, or like negative, or like furious red face? Like I've had a horrible day. You probably wouldn't write on certain days and you would actually or you might ask and lend a hand like, hey, so you're having a bad day. How can I help? Like, imagine if if LinkedIn had a mood meter feature.
0: It would definitely decrease my communication anyway, because I would just yeah. probably be the kind of person that would just leave it on bad day bad day every and day <laughs> people that just not send me all those well they those find correlations
1: just... with the cloudy rainy weather in england uh and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, don't, every, don't, don't every talk spouse to me should have, me have, that. That. You, you you have that you walk into your home from work and you can see on the chest like a button like if your spouse is happy mid middle or sad or pissed <laughs> before they speak <laughs> oh
0: crazy I, mean, I think it would it would help And I I think it would I'd have to have a chuckle every day because everyone just leaves it on like happy and you look at their face and you think, "Mm, you haven't changed your mood meter this morning. What's happened? It it, it would make interactions so much better or streamlined anyway. You know, when you sort of think it'd be nice if things were a bit more focused in, a little bit more strategic, a little bit more... Just easier. Like it's so hard to speak to some people these days that you're never gonna get it right. You're never gonna have the interactions that work that are effective. And then if you're a manager at a company, you're gonna have such a hard time, such a difficult day where everything that you say gets received the wrong way. And you will think that you're doing a terrible job, even though you're not. It's just the little tweaks that can make the big difference. But the impression will be, you know, 10 employees, 10 management. And everyone looks at you funny because you've said the same thing in three different ways, and every single one was not right.
1: Correct. You think <laughs> you're really
0: bad at your job. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely a weird a weird world that we're in. And I like some of the the other things that. I mean, does I, does AI actually help that? Because this sounds like it's an amazing. being able to use technology being able to see things ahead of time so that you can prepare so that you can adjust i mean ai is spooky to most people now can you imagine if it learned everything that it could about us able to process things at the speed that it's able to and it would it would be a bit spooky
1: yeah i mean look we have two thousand years of history to 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 know that the most powerful things in the world, tools, people, or energy, if used for the good, is transformational and beautiful for society. If used for the bad, will destroy society. So let's look at, um, you know, a, a a large shipping fleet in the 14, 1500s. You could become the most powerful country in the world and, and bring trade and commerce to the world, or you could use it to, to conquer and colonize, right? beautiful horrible um you can have uh, a great speaker in the world like gandhi who moves people for the better or you can have a hitler or you can have a fidel castro that does it to destroy millions of people's lives right um i think energy nuclear bombs nuclear energy could be used for solving the energy crisis of the world or nuclear energy could be used to kill millions right all of these examples basically show you the duality of the most powerful things in history what uh, people tools resources and ai is no different and just like all those other things i mentioned right the beginning of a powerful when people identify something so powerful the first people go the first place people go as human beings is the fear based scarcity it's going to hurt us but as they put in controls as we learn how to leverage it people are going to realize that it's going to be equally or more so positive for society and change the way we all, all live for the better, taking you know, another 20% out of poverty, educating another 50% of the, of the world that didn't have education, using a tool like human intelligence to deliver insights about each other so we can all get along better at our jobs, with our spouses, in, in any interaction with other human beings. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually going to enhance people, not replace people. So, I get it, you know, I was scared of the internet when it came out, right? I used a typewriter through college and I was like, oh my God, I'm like the forgotten generation, you know, like I actually have to learn this thing called the internet. Um, Even even when AI came for my own company, my first thought was, oh my God, this is going to put my company out of business. I hate it. And we fought internally, all of our employees like, no, let's not make it, it'll make it too easy because the version before the AI was you actually had to read about somebody and then think and then rewrite your email." AI, you just write your email. You don't think. You just push a button. It's easy. But guess what? Gen Zers and millennials have been brought up where things are easy. So why should I impose and project on them a version of my tool of human intelligence where they actually have to think? Right. And so what we did was we found a middle ground. We give the answer when you write an email, but we also score it and say this is you were you were about eighty percent right or thirty percent right, and here's why we did it this way. And so come up with like the concept of like when your boss redlines your paper and explains why. We don't just give the fish to the man or the woman. We teach them how to fish. And for Generation Z and millennials who don't have soft skills, who are the future leaders of companies, they need to learn soft skills. So our our clients love that we are developing and training Gen Zers, millennials, because in that email, we explain why the person is different and how, how the email was rewritten. And that's key. So it wasn't just use AI. It was also adapting it to use AI and explain why. And so every tool every industry will come to a middle ground where it's going to help people. And some industries will be lost, right? And some industries will be, but history shows that every group of people, whether it's hundreds or thousands or millions that get displaced by one technology land fine and open up a whole new area of of jobs. So, you know, history repeats itself for a reason. Um, God does not sleep at the wheel. We're all fine.
0: That is a, fantastic way to end one it's been fantastic i really hope that we are able to get along and I, I think as long as it is used in the right way in the appropriate way then it'll definitely definitely help as opposed to hinder us so for those that want to learn more about you, yeah, about the company about human intelligence where can people find out more
1: yeah so they can go to our website human intelligence we've combined two words so don't put the i n in the middle so human and, uh, and they can, uh, you can email me at juan at if you have anything specific you want to say or feedback on today's uh, podcast.
0: Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Juan, well, it's been great. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks very much. Thank you, Michael.